Welcome to the Fran Park Center for Faith and Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. This is the Out of the Park podcast series. We invite you to join us for other programming you can find on our website at www.framparkcenter.org. Join us. Welcome to the Out of the Park podcast here with the Fran Park Center for Faith in Life in Scottsdale, Arizona. I am the Reverend Dr. Mike Hegeman, the Associate Director of the Park Center, and we are focusing on education, back to school. And for those who don't live in Arizona, August is the month we go back to school. And I've never understood this because it's, it always feels like the hottest month uh, during the year here, uh, but yet this is the time we, we choose to do it. And to help us get into a conversation about education and its importance, we have with us today Megan Bailey, who is a member of Pinnacle Presbyterian Church, where the Park Center is uh, housed. And uh, we brought Megan in just to have a conversation because you are also an elementary school teacher. So welcome, Megan. Thank you. And let's just, just dive into the topic. You know, you have been, how long have you been an educator? This will be my 18th year that I will be in education. What drew you into the field? I came from a mother who taught for 40 years in education in a public school in Paradise Valley. And so she kind of drew me into it. And uh, through college, I was didn't know what quite I wanted to do, but I majored in education and didn't look back. Right. So you've been doing this for 18 years, and Mm -hmm. somewhere along the line, you got married and had children, right? (laughs) I did. Yeah. So you have a couple of, you have, what are the ages of your children? I have a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. So this is, you know, our focus today is on on education with younger children, so Mm -hmm. looking at elementary school children as well. Mm -hmm. It's as we go through our series for this month that we'll look at education on different levels, but... So glad that you bring your experience. And not only, it sounds are you a native Arizonan? I am. Yeah, but you haven't spent all your life here in Arizona. Where else have you been and taught? I grew up here and then went to ASU. I taught in Paradise Valley at Snorin Sky for four years, and then I moved to San Francisco. And I taught in Burlingame, which is right outside of San Francisco. And so I got to understand the Arizona public school system along with the California public school system. And then I went abroad to the Czech Republic working at their international school, which is just basically a a school. And they have a lot of um, growth over there because they have a lot of Japanese companies that do like semiconductors and different types of things. So they have a big draw for an international school. And it's the smaller city from Prague. It's right above Vienna. And it was a really cool experience. And so I decided to stay, but moved myself to Belgium. I got a job at the International School in Antwerp. And over there, I worked at um, their school with the primary years program, which is an international baccalaureate program, which is really cool. It's focused on inquiry-based programming. And so it's really more open-ended and kind of Montessori-esque, but with a curriculum and, a, and still all of the ways you do a public school system, regular school. So right, but was, the word you used was inquiry-based. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's a sense of the curiosity exactly. of, of young people and building mm-hmm. off of what we would hope would be innate native forms of curiosity and really fostering that as well, saying right. that, that children 
children learn. We, we, we understand that children learn and grow in their, as they explore. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So it was a really neat experience, especially because it was a private school. And so having background in public school versus private school gave me a lot of insight to both of them and how they run differently. And I really loved the experience. And I would still be there if I didn't have a little baby there. I met my husband and we had a child and then we moved back to be with my parents to help out. And so you've been back in Arizona how long? Eight years. Eight years, yeah. And so I think that's one of the wonderful things about education and encountering different systems is that we can see there there is there are ways and models of, of doing education greater than an American public school system, right? You yeah. Know? But also saying that we have merit as well. There's merit as well within right. our education system as yeah. well. What do you think is the greatest merit of uh, – let's focus on – American public school system? Let's see. With the international, I think the biggest thing was that it was creating a global citizen. And I loved that aspect of the kids would be like, what nationality, what language do you speak? All of these things, they were so excited about it. In America, you're going to want to edit this out. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I should have just just, uh, not asked that question because... You're probably the critique. I would have all those those things that I'm excited most about uh, international education as well. So I could even say that that maybe I maybe Megan, I've set you up a little bit to, for that question because we could say perhaps your experience in the international school system, which is an English language based system, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, I have a friend, close friend, who teaches at the John F. Kennedy School in Berlin, and that's a dual language education. So half the day students are required to speak German, half the day they speak English. Yeah. And that's more of a diplomat-based, you know, these the kids you're talking about, the kids that are involved with business in, in Prague or yeah. in the Czech, Czech Republic. Right. And so here there's some business folks of international business, but also people uh, from diplomatic backgrounds as well. And so, but I appreciate that same aspect of these types of schools that build global citizens. Yeah. And maybe we could just shift that question back to saying in American school systems, we, we really, this is something that we lack, that we become somewhat insular and that we, you know, we don't build the kind of skills that an interna- a global citizen needs, focusing on things like language. I mean, just what used to be called foreign language, you know. And so, uh, but we'd say, how do we, Students in Europe often speak two to three, four languages or more. And uh, that I think this is a real challenge for our American system is to say, step up, right? I feel like sometimes America can be be a competitive place and focus more on the reading, the writing, the math test scores instead of creating the whole child. And so with that, we lose out on some of the language aspects. And plus, we're a proud country, we want to make sure that we bolster what we can do well. And with that, learning and performing well is something that we take to heart and want to do yeah. the best we can. So in your own, your own teaching career, uh, what, have been the, what has been your focus of grade levels or what, what have you been really working with? Fortunately, I've been able to teach almost every grade level from K through sixth grade. I started out my career as a kindergarten teacher, and then I went to third grade and second grade, and then went to first grade when I was international. 
Then after that, I moved to Greyhawk in uh, Paradise Valley and taught sixth grade, which was a huge jump from first grade to sixth grade. But the needs of a kid are still the same. They just have different, you know, levels where you can um, really, with a sixth grader, they have such a fun, fun personality and you really get to dive into a lot of curriculum, which is really fun. And so that was a really cool thing. Then after the pandemic and teaching online, I taught a hundred sixth graders reading and I basically did my own podcast. Not as a good setup as this, but I definitely did it because 12 year old does not want to be online all day. So they turn, they attend my class, but they wouldn't necessarily listen to anything that they said. So when we did go back in person, it was a lot of reteaching and going over all of the things of the curriculum for the year. So in one aspect, it is kind of like a year. A lot of people see it as a year of a wash. And at that point, I had been teaching sixth grade for five years, and our special education teacher, um, we had about seven of them during that year because it's a it's a hard job to fill. And so I saw a need, and I applied for that position and got it. You do need, like, um, a credential, <laughs> which I went back to school and I received, but it was a huge learning curve just because I had never written an IEP before, which is an individualized education plan. I've never performed an official evaluation on a child to screen for a learning disorder or an other health impair uh, impairment, which is an OHI or autism or any other things that fall in the realm of special education. And so it was a big two feet jump in. And so when I did that, though, I learned so much about education and became such a better teacher. So one aspect I feel as um, we look back on education is we've learned so much through technology and technology has now come in to show how we read words and our brain focuses on all of the letters within a word. And because of that, we were able, or not me, but right. the, no. the science of it was able to show that phonics and decodable word programs are the way to teach reading. And so for a long time, when I was an educator and growing up and when going through ASU, we learned balanced literacy, which is a really cool word and terminology, but it's really a three-part queuing system where a lot of people during the pandemic were seeing their children in front of them guessing at words instead of reading words, the whole word. And because of this, a lot of new, like um, recently the New York Times, their daily podcast had a review on a couple of these programs and what is in New York State schools and throughout the country, even throughout the whole world, they use a three-part queuing system. And it's basically a lot of teaching of sight words and rote memorization and using a lot of context clues and then using like the beginning letter of the word to to guess what the rest of the word is if they can't decipher it. So because of this technology and understanding that we can read the entire word with our eyes and we see all of the letters, it has put such an emphasis on making sure we teach phonics and decoding instead of this 
three-part sequencing step. Interesting, because, you know, these uh, educational trends, they come and they go, they come and they go, and I'm sure that I was raised on phonics, right? Yeah. You know, just, and decoding, as you as you say it. And so uh, my mother was a reading teacher, and so I got this before I ever went to school. Uh, and then when I taught elementary school myself, uh, second grade, working with the kids who were already, first grade is that such important reading year, learning to read year, but second grade is you, you just run with it. And I loved that. But yet really working on that sight word, sight mem- and memorization of words and uh, spelling lists and all that. Uh, you know, it's nice to know that there's people are still researching it because then at a certain point they went to whole language. And then, right, and I, this is new to me, this terminology of, three. what did you say, three? It's three, three, no, I forgot. <laughs> oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> They're pulling it out of context, but just learning some of the, just how these trends in education can actually affect even uh, children within the same family can be exposed to different emphases. You know, saying what some say, oh, we've, this child learned through phonics, this one learned through whole language, and this one learned this way. Yeah. And so we can really see how uh, that this can affect uh, children that as they are exposed to different, you know, Emphasis, you know, different ways that of presenting the learning of reading, especially that that can affect them for the rest of their lives. And so, what would you say to families that saying, if we call this a back to school uh, episode, really saying, what could children be doing, families be doing with young readers during the summer? That just what's the what's what's best some best practices for really helping families to yeah. learn together, especially around reading, right? A biggest thing, I think, is phonemic awareness and breaking down and manipulating the sounds within a word is incredibly important if you have a kindergartner through second grader. If you have a kiddo that's struggling that's past second grade, you still want to do that phonemic awareness. And basically, it starts off with, like, rhyming words. Like, if I say bat, give me a word that rhymes with bat, cat, rat, sat. And you play this kind of game. And these are things you could easily do in the car so it's not so painful for a child because my five-year-old does not like doing any of these things, but we do do them. Breaking the word down and saying, or another part would be if I said rat, the child says rat, then change er to b, what word do I have? And they would say bat. Then you keep going with this, and you can do this with the rhyming words or whatever, but you only want to change, like, the initial sound. If they're doing really well, you can change the the ending sound. The vowel sound's always going to be the hardest sound to get in there. As you go on, you can keep going and harder, uh, make them harder, and interchange, like, blends, like, sp, you know, for uh, like spot or whatever it is, and you can change those, but that's more of an advanced thing. Those things and how you break down the words like blast, tell me the sound you hear in blast, blast, and breaking those down are incredibly important, not only for decoding the words, but for writing and for spelling. And so I have so many spellers, even my own child who hasn't done this, like you said, I can definitely see the difference in between my five-year-old and my eight-year-old was in that year of COVID where we were just trying to get through. And so she missed out on a lot of phonics. And so going back through and even having her practice and breaking the words down every time really helps with her spelling because she'll just jumble up the letters or she'll write the T before the S or whatever it is. And so I really focus a lot on that. So if your kid, kiddo is having a hard time with spelling, 
practice breaking the words down, giving them the sounds that they have. I'm going to jump in. So a phoneme is a very kind of short set. I mean, it's a sound it's unit, a, right? It's a sound yeah. unit. And so like... Like you said, bat could be a phoneme, right? There's a but. Uh, I mean, there's a, it's, it's yeah. Succinct. So bat would have three phonemes in oh, it. Oh, okay, okay. So you're breaking it down even more. Okay, yes. All right. So it's for every sound that you hear. Mm-hmm. So sometimes with a digraph like s h or sh mm-hmm. has one phoneme, yes. even though oh, there's okay. two Great. letters. Right. Mm-hmm. And so teaching those digraphs, teaching like. Sometimes you have all, A-L-L, and O-S-T, O-S-T. Teaching those things are like the beginning sounds of, or the beginning decoding of reading. I went to Barnes & Noble the other day to find my five-year-old some books, and specifically decodable books, which are really difficult to find, because most books are really fun, full of pictures, scholastics, as a ton of them, and they also do decodable. I'm not going to throw them under the bus, but they, um, you know, Disney does a lot of these beautiful picture books, and they work more on sight words than they do on decodables. So I asked the um, front desk, I said, Where, do you have any decodable books? And the woman said, I don't know that author. And I said, oh, decodable's not an author, it's a um, type of type of books for children. She goes, oh, no, we don't have any of those. And I said, oh, okay. So there's just a great need for these little books. Bob books are an example of them, like if you have a little kiddo who wants to read, but they're, they graduate so quickly and can be so frustrating. The best thing to do for decodables is actually to, like, find um, – I-M-S-E, Orton Gillingham, Wilson has a ton of these free books online that you can get, and they have to be decodable if you really want to focus on So if, like you said, the Barnes & Noble associate didn't know that term, and so how would you help help a parent who wants to go into a bookstore, how would you help them describe to decode the word decodable for us (laughs) just a little bit so that when they say, oh, I'm sorry if you don't know that word, this is what I mean. Yeah. yeah, they're kind of like word family books almost in a way. And then and the word families build on each other. So then you have blends. Then you have focus on magic E words like cake and bake and things like that. And so it's it's a challenge. Was Dr. Seuss uh, with some of that uh, in that in that decodable realm where he uses lots of rhyming words and lots of kind of words within the same similar family or Dr. Seuss does have a lot of decodable but he jumps so greatly mm. in there are like cvc like um consonant vowel consonant words but then he jumps into a lot of blends that a little kiddo might not be ready for unless right. they're a little bit more advanced maybe second grade yeah. one of the things you said earlier about what you love about education is looking at a young person as a whole person and so that their education is to help create a whole person and so in you're talking about things that families can do together uh, especially around the reading, is that some, you make it a game, but you make it a social event, you know, the sense of how is it that uh, learning, learning of this kind, learning to read and explore language can be can be a family event so that we associate relationships within families as well as, I mean, sense of you're building a whole person. I should just that say that sounds kind of funny just to say that, but you're helping the person to experience within context, reading within context of life and not to be isolated so much. The sense of, that's why I just love your kind of suggestions about uh, do this in the car while you're driving and think of these sounds and what sound could I replace to create another word and all of that, yeah. Well, 
also with the context of building vocabulary. Kiddos can't comprehend a story unless they understand the vocabulary that they're reading. So continuing to have conversations with your kiddo, still continuing to read picture books and different books together, listen to audible books in the car and pause it. Make sure that you have a conversation with what is happening because that is a reflection of their listening comprehension. And that's a really important uh, component as well. And then that vocabulary, asking them if they know what that word is. Don't just ask them because they might just say, yeah, I totally know what it is. And then they need to use it in a sentence correctly for you to really make sure that they know how to phrase it. Or you could even phrase it for them and then have them do it. Because that vocabulary, if they understand and know it, they can recognize it faster within a text. And then yeah. it creates their fluency and accuracy. I remember just a few years ago, I was in uh, I was in East Africa, and visiting schools in East Africa, and looking at uh, just looking at how the Kenyan government has created free public education only just recently, and for young primary school students. And so, sitting down with students and having them read, and they read in English so very well. But it, the young boy came across the word snow. He pronounced it just perfectly. But then I had to ask him, I says, do you know what snow is? And especially in that part of Kenya, maybe on the highest mountains in Kenya, there might be snow. But he just looked at me with a kind of a look like, no, I, I don't. And so just then it opened up a conversation where we talked about snow. And um, so I, I totally understand that. So that even students, they can read a word because they can look at the pattern and follow it. But mm-hmm. comprehension is big, right? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, we get we're now our educator nerds are coming, our coming geekiness is coming out here in our conversation. We could talk all that, but for quite a while. Um, but I wanted to kind of say that here, you know, the Fran Park Center is a is a place where we talk about faith and life together. And we do, as we focus most, most of what we do is we look at adult learners ourselves as we look at the place that faith plays and education plays in uh, bringing those together in adult life. But how, what part do you say, like a church, what part like does a, a church play in the education of young people towards this thing that's saying towards the whole person. What part doesn't it play? You look at the community within Pinnacle and it's full of brilliance. You have so many different careers and jobs and people who come from different parts of the world together to support something that they believe in. And, you know, look at what you mentioned with Kenya and having the free appropriate public education. That's what we, you know, as a country were built upon to have this free free education along with being able to practice any religion you wanted to do and becoming a citizen where you could support society in a good way is something that at least I tried to reach and give back to my community. And I feel the church has a great way of doing this just with things like this and having the Fran Park and having the courageous conversations where you really educate and continue to be a lifelong learner. If there was a career for being a lifelong learner, I would love to do that, get paid for it, but I don't have one yet. But um, I think that the church just being here and having that opportunity to continue with confirmation classes and things like that and supporting the kids and the children's literacy. And my kids love to go to the church um, children's word and sit up on the altar and 
be there and be a part of it because they feel like they're really connecting. Whereas I, you know, that's the most important thing is when you feel a connection and by doing all these things, you help, you know, make a connection to God and a connection to the world and a connection to being a global citizen. Right. And I would hope that anything that we do says that we support young people, people of all ages. You know, I've people ask, often ask me this, you know, because I've taught preschool through 90-year-olds all my life. That's just, and the, people say, well, what's the difference between, you know, doing that? So I says, there's absolutely no difference. <laughs> there is no Thank difference. You. Right. And I always say, everybody needs their hand held at some point. Everybody needs, a, 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 I, I'll, I'll say it softly, encouragement along the way, boundaries. But they also, I, what I hope to say is that we treat people as whole people as they are and saying, they're, the children, we, there's a sense of they're not just we're not just waiting for them to grow up to be part of the church. They're saying that these are these are vital parts of our of our of church life and the sense of uh, the discovery of learning along as we and learning as a community as well. And so they're vital parts of we would hope and we'd want to say too. It would always challenge our our, our young families and and parents of the, in, in these families to say, I think the church can do better. You know, uh, are to, to help us that very goal that we're trying to achieve as well is saying these young people are full members of our community and we want to support you too as you are then out in these kids are out in the world going to schools whether they're going to public schools or to private schools or homeschooled yeah. we said we want to support you so what do you that will kind of end with this what do you think is the, the a best way that the church could even support families where kids are going back to school now in august you know that's when this will air say so when will um What's the best way for us to support our young families and the young people in those families? Understanding that we're all doing it together. We're all in it together and feeling that community makes everything less scary. And so if there is something you need help with, then we're here for you to help. And you have so many different programs within the preschool education. And for families on a Wednesday night or whatever it is to give that support if they need it. And I think that's such a really nice little life jacket to have when you're going through life. And it's hard to be a parent. Well, thank you, Megan, for coming in and just kind of helping us even dive into this conversation about Back to school isn't just something we do in August. Back to school is for people of all age, right, and all the time. We're just uh, – that's what a sense of – and that's what I think why I'm so attracted to the person of Jesus Christ is a sense of, of all his identities, you know, central to so much is that his identity as a teacher. Right. And so that is he, he so closely associated everything he did with teaching and having deep respect for those who are learning, I mean, even though he said he might he might get frustrated with them at certain points, but he would always come back with compassion and bring bring a learning and a teaching down at to a level that only not met them where they are, but took them beyond. Right? right. He challenged them sometimes. He didn't just you know create a didn't didn't water it down to a, like a absolutely everybody's going to get and understand this. There were moments when he said, "I teach you in a way so that's going to make you think." And gonna and make you want to go deeper and and learn more. Yeah, compassion's the key. Compassion is the key. Thank you, Megan. Thank you. Thanks for joining us at our Out of the Park podcast series. If you like this program and would like to check out more, go to our website at www.framparkcenter.org.